Win the battle of your musty, damp basement with an easy breathe ventilation system. Take charge of your indoor air. It's easy with basement ventilation to remove musty odors, pollutants, allergens, and airborne particles by 85%. An easy breathe ventilation system creates air exchanges for cleaner, fresher, healthy indoor air. And right now, get $250 off your own easy breathe ventilation system. Call 866-822-7328 or visit takechargeofyouair.com today. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Up next, The Truth with Lisa Booth, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. The crisis at the southern border is getting worse every day, and the American people know it. The Biden administration knows it, but they're not doing anything about it. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. Welcome back to The Truth with Lisa Booth. As the Biden administration and his team continues to be solely responsible for the border crisis that we're seeing at the southern border, which is now not just a border crisis coming from Central American countries or Mexico. It's now a global immigration crisis crisis because the Biden administration has dismantled essentially every policy put into place to try to mitigate the unfettered illegal immigration that we're seeing at the southern border. They might as well roll out the red carpet and put up welcome signs because that's essentially what is happening here in the United States. No regard for our borders, no regard for the fact we're a a sovereign nation, Uh, no regard for the rule of law, no regard for Immigrants who are trying to do it the legal way, who are trying to come over here, actually take the right steps, but just expediting illegal immigrants to try to cut the line. Uh, And even worse, now Democrats are trying to pass probably the largest amnesty bill ever in American history through the reconciliation process, which means that it's going to be done without a single Republican vote on a party line basis. How's that for abuse of power? So as you can see, I'm pretty fired up about all of this. I think the border crisis is important. I think having borders that we enforce is important. I think taking care of American citizens is important, particularly after the government screwed over so many small businesses over the past year uh, and destroyed the economy by injecting so much taxpayer money in it to try to resuscitate the damage that they did. So Americans are suffering, yet we are allowing a massive flow of illegal immigrants coming into the United States that we're all taking care of as a result as United States taxpayers. 
So I am bringing on today's episode, Mark Krikarian, who has served as the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies since 1995 to talk about this issue. I go to him a lot for information as well as the Center for Immigration Studies. Mark knows so much. He's a wealth of information. So we're going to get in to all of this today. We're going to go through the nuts and bolts of the crisis, how it started, things that need to be addressed, and then also what to expect in the future. You know, what is the rest of the Biden administration going to look like on illegal immigration? So that's the show today. It's going to be super interesting. And I, I hope you guys stay tuned. I, I think you're going to like it. So it's my pleasure to welcome Mark Krikarian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies, to get into all of this today. Mark, thanks so much for coming on The Truth with Lisa Booth. Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so, Mark, I, I, I'm sure you're looking at what's going on right now, appalled uh, at the crisis at our southern border. Can you just contextualize how bad things are right now? Uh, they're pretty bad. Um, the We're looking at uh, numbers of arrests at the border that are um, have we haven't seen in a generation. Uh, and it's worse than that because, you know, 20 plus years ago, Almost everybody arrested at the border was a single adult male, whereas now we have a very large share of the people arrested are either people traveling with kids or so-called unaccompanied minors whose illegal immigrant parents in the U.S. left them back home with, the, with grandma and are now paying smugglers to bring them to the border and supposedly unaccompanied. And those people basically all get to stay. And there's all kinds of legal problems in uh, legal complications in dealing with them. So this really, I mean, even though we have a couple of, there have been a few years, decades ago, where the numbers of arrests were higher, this is nonetheless an unprecedented phenomenon. And the other thing that makes it unprecedented is that uh, illegal immigration you know, a generation ago and before that was virtually all Mexican, Mexican, single Mexican men coming to work in the U.S. Uh, that changed in that there's now a large share coming from Central America, but it's now changing even more rapidly, where in July, more than one quarter of all illegal immigrants arrested at the border were from neither Mexico nor Central America. They were from not just Cuba and Haiti, but Ecuador, Brazil, and increasingly now Africa and Asia and even parts of Europe. There's a not zero number of Romanian gypsies who are taking advantage of the border crisis of, of Biden's invitation, basically, that caused the border crisis, as well as people from, you know, Mauritania and Uzbekistan and you name it, because word has spread. The odds are now much better than they've ever been, that if you sneak across the border, either we will just let you in if you get arrested, or you have a really, really good shot of just getting past the Border Patrol undetected because the Border Patrol is so overwhelmed, you know, on doing uh, diaper duty, basically, and Walmart runs to buy formula to deal with the uh, kids and families and stuff that are being sent over that they can't deal with the rest of the border. So, you know, 
illegal immigrants, other illegal immigrants are able to get by as well as dope and all kinds of stuff. So this is a serious problem. And there's always some problem at the border, but the unprecedented nature of what we're facing is directly attributable to Joe Biden. The root cause is in the Oval Office. Well, and the fact that the the immigration crisis at the southern border has non has now gone global sort of renders Kamala Harris's root root problems, uh, you know, hoax. It, it, it renders it useless and silly to say that somehow we're going to stop the flow of illegal immigration by dealing with the root causes in Central America when it's gone global. It's a global issue now. So how do you address the root causes in all these other countries? Yeah, I mean, the root cause thing was phony always because. If we knew how to, you know, increase uh, effective government and reduce corruption and spread prosperity and all that, if we knew how to do that, Afghanistan would have worked out great. But it didn't. It's nation building is what Vice President Harris is talking about are supposedly doing. So it can't work anyway. But even if you were to say just for the sake of argument, okay, this could work, it would, number one, take decades for it to happen because countries don't develop overnight. This is a long process. Secondly, it would actually result in increased migration pressures in the short run because as countries develop, they actually, it's more possible for people to leave. There's rising expectations People have more money in their pocket to pay smugglers. So actually, development increases the pressure to leave a third world country. And then only eventually, after a while, does it decrease it. And then the third reason this is all phony, even this couldn't work, even if it weren't phony, which it is, is what you mentioned. It's gone global. In fact, the you know, they talk about the, the sort of the buzz phrase is the northern triangle of Central America as the source of the problem. And those are the three countries um, in Central America that all border on each other. That's where most of this has, has been coming from, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Well, in July, El Salvador wasn't even among the top countries sending illegal immigrants. It had been replaced by Ecuador, a thousand miles or more to the south which is now sending more illegal immigrants to the border than El Salvador. So are we going to fix Ecuador's problems, not to mention Haiti and Cuba and Brazil and Chile and Mauritania and Uzbekistan? I mean, you know, it's it's absurd. It's all a lie to begin with. This root causes thing is fake. But even if it weren't fake, it cannot be a strategy that has any relevance to what's going on at the border today. So we'll get into some of this stuff later about some of the loopholes that we could close and the differences between, you know, Mexican uh, teenagers and unaccompanied minors come to the United States and what we can do with them versus Central Americans, because there are certain loopholes that treat those two different scenarios differently. But when we're dealing with all these different countries, are there other loopholes applying to those countries? Like, how dicey does that get then in trying to deport some of these different people when you're dealing with all these different countries? Are there are there other loopholes that, you know, preclude or prevent us from deporting certain people from different countries or, or, or get into some of those specifics and, and how we you know deal with these different individuals coming from so many different countries and the complications that that poses? 
yeah, there are complications in removing people, even apart from the the things you would mention, the specific loopholes, which we've written a lot about. For instance, um, a lot of illegal immigrants have learned to throw away their documents before they cross the border. Because then, how do you know what country they're supposed to go to? Um, especially if they speak Spanish, you can say, okay, well, their their accent sounds like they're from country X, but that's not good enough. Um, this is There's an intentional effort to uh, make it hard to deport people. The illegal immigrants take steps to make it hard to deport them. I mean, they're told to do this by their smugglers, uh, which, you know, especially with an administration like we have now, will frequently lead the administration to kind of shrug its shoulders and say, okay, well, we can't figure it out. Just let them go into the country and hope they show up for some hearing sometime and tell us what country they're from. I mean, it's, it's immigration based, you know, immigration enforcement based on the honor system and on, and hope. And that's not the way anything works. Uh, One of my, uh, well, there's been news coverage and actually photographic evidence. I mean, they've taken pictures of this, of, the trails on the Mexican side leading down to the river opposite Texas, you know, in the Rio Grande, where the trails are paved with the discarded documents, passports and ID cards and everything of the illegal immigrants who want to be able to either lie about who they are or, you know, uh, lie about what country they come from or maybe just not say what country they come from so that to make it hard for us to deport them. And and one interesting point on this, one of my writers had made the sort of clever observation that I need to write something about this myself to sort of give it a little more coverage is that we should be paying people on the Mexican side of the border to be picking up all these documents and shipping them to us so we can try to match them up with the people who discarded them so we can, you know, make it easier to deport. But anyway, that's just one of the ways that deporting, that it can be hard to deport people once they get past you into the United States. And another one I won't go into the detail on, but there are a number of countries that are referred to in the jargon as recalcitrant countries, which is to say they either won't take their own citizens back if we deport them, or they slow walk it and try to make it as hard as possible because especially in cases of criminals, they just don't want them back. And they figure, well, you know, musical chairs, the music stopped. You guys are stuck with them. Tough luck. Uh, And so that's, you know, among the other complications in trying to deport people. And then what percentage are being released into society? Well, of the uh, all of the unaccompanied minors and almost all of the adults traveling with children. So I forget what the percentage is, but it's something. And then even some of the adult males traveling on their own, but um, it changes, but it's something like 30% are just let go into the United States. And, you know, since in July, we're talking about 200 plus thousand arrests of illegal immigrants. It's, you know, that's not nothing. That's a lot of people. And, you know, supposedly they have a hearing date or in some cases, they're supposed to turn themselves into ice when they get to where they're going, <laughs> like anybody does that. Apparently, it's like 90% of them don't bother, obviously. So, yeah, they are basically just let go to the United States. And under this administration, uh, there there's almost zero chance 
that they will be deported, even if they're arrested for committing a crime, unless they actually like behead somebody or something like that. Other than that, they're basically here. And let's say best case scenario, a new administration takes over in 2025. Uh, By then, you know, these people will have had a kid or two born in the United States, uh, you know, gotten established in a job and they'll have a house and they may have joined some church. And, you know, how are we going to be able to deport them then? I mean, we could legally, but it makes it a lot less likely. Well, so obviously this is very disturbing if you have people being released into the country from all over the world who we don't have papers to identify them or what their prior lives were like. I mean, we could have criminals, we could have terrorists, we could have gang members, we could have cartel members being released into the United States. And among people in society, we have absolutely no idea who they are. Absolutely none. Um, And it's not we could have people like that released. We are, in fact, releasing people like that. Now, you know, most illegals aren't gang members or gang bangers or whatever the heck it is but some of them are we know some of them are uh and we have but we have no idea who they are uh you know um and there's no good way to do vetting uh of people's backgrounds because even if you know who they are you know i mean honduras isn't the kind of place that keeps really good records about everything and that's honduras nearby which is kind of beholden to us what about some country in Africa, or the Middle East or Asia? They couldn't. They, I mean, they may not even have the capacity to uh, do to provide information for background checks like I mean, Somalia, for instance. What are you going to do? Call the DMV in Mogadishu? There's no government there. It hasn't been for like 30 years, 40 years. They don't even have birth certificates, for heaven's sake. So the idea that we could ever know in any meaningful to any meaningful degree, who these people are who are coming across the border is fantasy. All the vetting stuff they talk about, it's not all useless, but almost all useless. Well, and doesn't it present challenges, too? Because you even have Republicans. Oh, what about DACA? You know, they came over here without, you know, not on their own, without any you know fault of their own, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, one, we've seen teenagers, almost men, cross the border. And also, you know, if they don't have papers and we don't know who some of these individuals are, how do you accurately determine who came over here, you know, of no fault of their own at an age making them uh, applicable to DACA? You know, how do you actually measure that and capture that in a real and meaningful way? You can't. You basically take people's word for it. I mean, it's kind of what it amounts to. I mean, they try to make sure you came You know, they look for evidence that you came, you know, when you said you came. For instance, one thing (laughs) when they were taking DACA applications, one way you could prove that you were in the U.S. before, you know, whatever X date was your video game records, your online video game records. So it's not like any of that could ever be faked. You know what I mean? So so no, it's um, you know, there are plenty of people who have DACA, who did, in fact, meet whatever the requirements were, even though it's an illegal program. But all kinds of people um, were fraudulent. I mean, in fact, there's one quick story as a mayor of a town outside Boston. We had on a panel discussion of ours. Lots of of these so-called unaccompanied minors went there, the kind of people who may get DACA in the future. And, you know, they said they were under 18. Some of them were in their 20s. Uh, she sent her 
school, um, what is it, the truancy officers, because one of them was supposed to be enrolled in high school, to go and look for a guy because he hadn't come to school. And uh, the woman answered the phone and said, I'm truancy from high school. Was, high school? What are you talking about high school? He's, he's, a job, he's at work. He's in his 20s. What do you, you know, I mean, these are the whole, the whole thing, DACA and the unaccompanied minor thing. The whole thing is just an invitation for fraud. So much to get into. Quick commercial break, and we'll get back right to it. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Timons Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Well, and so you had talked about uh, previously how the root cause of all of this is obviously, you know, Joe Biden. I mean, some of his first steps when he took office were it was to dismantle some of the policies put in place from the previous administration that were working, you know, trying to build a border wall, remain in Mexico. Go through some of those policy changes that we've seen from Biden and the impact that they've had on the increasing crisis that we see at the southern border. Probably the most important thing that Trump did and then the most important thing that Biden undid was what is colloquially known as the Remain in Mexico program. Technically, it's called the Migrant Protection Protocols, but Remain in Mexico is whatever he calls it, which tells you what it is about. And what that means is that if you are an illegal alien, you jump the border uh, and turn yourself into the Border Patrol because you want to apply for asylum, which basically has become a just a gambit to get released into the U.S. Very few people who apply for asylum are actually eligible for it, and they know that. They're lying. Um, and the ones who aren't lying are basically just exag- hoping that some claim that things are bad back home will get them asylum, even though it doesn't, you know, they don't qualify for it. So what happened under Obama is more and more people were doing this, and um, Obama just let them go instead of detain them, which is what the law says they're required to do detain them until there's a, you know, their case is finished. 
Obama in 2009, in fact, as soon as he took over, said, yeah, we're just going to let those people go and give them work permits and basically hope that they show up for their hearings. Well, what Trump did is got Mexico to agree that we could send those people applying for asylum back across the border to wait on the Mexican side of the border until their hearing date came up, which is kind of like detaining them. In other words, instead of holding them in a U.S. detention facility, basically a kind of immigration jail, we would send them back across the border and they have to wait there. And since for most of these people, the whole point of applying for asylum was just to be able to be let go by the border patrol. Most of them, you know, most of them didn't even apply for asylum once they were let go. And the ones who did apply, most of them didn't get approved. And the ones who were turned down never left anyway. So the whole point was just to be just to get away. Because once they got once they were let once they got on a bus and headed for Chicago or Washington or Miami or L.A., it was game over. And so the Trump people pressured Mexico to agree because Mexico didn't have to take these people back if they weren't Mexican um, to say, look, we're going to send these people back. Uh, the our federal law, the U.S. law allows the government to make those kind of agreements and then they can wait over there and show up at the port of entry on their hearing date and then they can come in and have a hearing. Fantastically effective. The flow at the border collapsed after that happened. Because, number one, people were, you know, sent back across the border, but the ones for whom the asylum claim was just a fake thing anyway gave up. It changed the incentive, and they either went home or never came to begin with. Um, on his first day in office, Biden ended that program and, uh, you know, didn't let everybody in all at once, but the people who were waiting on the other side of the border were let in piecemeal and no future people. No, in other words, nobody who uh, jumped the border and then said the magic asylum words under once Biden took over were sent to wait in Mexico. And that changed the entire incentive structure for prospective illegal immigrants. In other words, it wasn't just the ones who were right there on the border who were able to now come across. It's people who hadn't even left home yet back in Mauritania who uh, or Ecuador or whatever, who realized that, you know, they weren't going to be sent to wait in Mexico anymore. They could pass through Mexico, get across the border, and then they'd be let go into the U.S. And that created a whole extra flow. In other words, that supercharged the flow. And that's what we're still seeing. That was probably the most important thing that Trump did. And the most damaging thing, undoing it, was the most damaging thing that Biden did. How low is the threshold for seeking asylum? Uh, it's pretty low right? because and so and the right word there, the relevant word is seeking because there's two steps. When you, um, you know, show up at a port of entry with no visa or you sneak across the border and turn yourself in or whatever you do there, what you say is I fear being returned. Um, you know, the gangs are mean and my husband, uh, you know, beat me up. And so you need to let me stay. Whether you like it or not, I'm an illegal immigrant, but you have to let me stay. That's what asylum is. There's two steps. First, there's the screening interview. They call it a credible fear interview. In other words, is your fear of return credible? It's a very low bar. And it's written to the law to be a low bar, basically to see whether 
Mickey Mouse is talking to you through your dental work, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little, but almost everybody under this administration, it's like 85% of people, I think maybe more, who say they fear being returned, make that first cut, what's called that credible fear interview. But that's not applying for asylum. That's being judged able to apply for asylum. And then you apply for asylum. Uh, And there, it's a much higher bar. You know, there really, I mean, it's only like, it depends on the country and which judge you're in front of. But, you know, maybe 15% of people who apply for asylum get asylum. But if if most of the people who say they want to apply for asylum are just let go into the U.S., what difference does it make whether they get asylum or not? Because, and in fact, half of them don't even bother to apply because even if you get turned down, you just get to stay anyway. So either you don't bother to apply, nobody's looking for you, or you do apply because some people do. They'll have lawyers, you know, and they figure, well, it's worth a try. And most of them are turned down, but nothing happens to you if you're turned down. It's not like they take you into custody. They send you a letter. They, they call it colloquially, it's called a run letter, which means, you know, run. <laughs> In other words, you've been turned down for asylum. Show up with your luggage on Tuesday. You know, nobody does that. And then some small share actually do get asylum. So basically, it's a no-lose situation for you to say, I, you know, fear return to my home country. Uh, and the, the bar is very low. As long as you've got some vaguely plausible story, you will be let go into the U.S. You may not get asylum. You probably won't. But you will get let go. And that's the main point. Which is why President Trump's Remain in Mexico policy, as you were pointing out earlier, was so genius, because it sort of was a natural filtration process for people who actually really did have a credible fear or really actually did need asylum, uh, because obviously it deterred people who were just coming under here under false pretenses because they didn't want to remain in Mexico. They wanted to get entry into the United States. So for that credible uh, fear, what does that pertain? What is credible fear in the eyes of our immigration officials like what, what do people need to say what do they need to do to reach that credible uh, that uh, credible fear because you'd think you know all these people coming from all these terrible countries it'd be pretty easy to meet that threshold yeah it is and, and because that's see they don't have to present the whole case about i qualify under the u.n refugee treaty that kind of stuff they just have to say you know i fear being returned home because there's a lot of because the government won't do anything about gangs or, um, you know, my boyfriend beat me up and I have to flee. And under this administration, that's actually going to become a grounds for asylum, domestic violence, which is a terrible thing. But that's not what asylum is about. Uh, so it's very easy. I mean, it's and the smugglers, all these people have smugglers, the smugglers, you know, and I'm confident in my speculation in saying that they have American immigration lawyers on their payrolls, or at least consulting arrangements, know what to say. What are the magic words? You say, I fear return. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, was in, you, you can come up with anything. Well, you know, I didn't like the way my town was being run and uh, the, uh, you know, the gangs came after me. Okay, check, bingo, you're okay. Uh, or, or you make up something else. I mean, there's more elaborate stories, too. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Catholic from China, and, um, 
you know, uh, they're going to, and they were, I was being persecuted. Uh, you know, in an asylum hearing, they'll actually investigate more. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are, who are the four evangelists? You know what I mean? You know, there's some basic information like that. Tell us something. Um, for a credible hear, credible fear hearing, that's not a hearing, a credible fear interview, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing like that level. It's basically, you know, when in doubt, take their word for it. So what benefit does any of this have for American citizens? Zero. Um, the whole asylum process is something we are locked into by United Nations treaties that we signed. Um, stupidly, I wrote a piece recently uh, calling for the withdrawal from the, U- the main UN refugee treaty. Uh, it was the 70th anniversary of the signing of the treaty just recently. And um, Harry Truman, to his credit, in 1951, refused to sign the U.N. Treaty, which at the time applied only to European refugees from World War II and the cold, you know, the Soviet invasion. Um, And he said, look, we take refugees, but we're not going to limit our sovereignty by signing this U.N. Treaty. The problem is that the Lyndon Johnson administration in 68 signed the sequel to the treaty, uh, which applied it to the whole world. And so we are now we're bound by this U.N. refugee treaty and the Senate confirmed it. And, you know, at the time, remember, this is 1968. So it was is actually kind of seen as a Cold War measure, because who was applying for asylum in 1968? Almost nobody. There's a Soviet ballerina, that kind of thing. Handful of people um, in any given year. Well, the Cold War is over. The world has completely changed, Uh, not to mention that transportation and communications is now dirt cheap. I mean, when I was a kid, we put on our Sunday clothes to get on an airplane. Now it's just a flying bus. You got people from, you know, Senegal hopping on the plane and flying to Brazil, regular people. Um, So what that's done is turn this 70-year-old institution of asylum, which handled, you know, maybe a couple thousand people a year, maybe, into this nation-breaking phenomenon that is forces us and Europeans too to take in literally hundreds of thousands if not millions of people whether we like it or not it renders our entire legal immigration structure with all of the numerical caps and the requirements for different categories it renders the whole thing moot because you know some people will still use it obviously but you know, if you don't qualify, yeah, just come across the border and uh, say that you, uh, you know, you fear whatever country you're coming from. And frankly, most of the countries that send immigrants are in one way or another kind of screwed up because otherwise, why would anybody leave? I mean, nobody's coming here claiming asylum from Norway or Japan. Those are countries that work. They're prosperous, functional places. The kinds of places immigrants come from are, by definition, screwed up. And so there's all kinds of opportunities to make an asylum claim. And we are bound by treaty to deal with it. So, I mean, the first step to to fixing this, we have to change our own laws, too. But the first step is to get out of these treaties so that we can now set asylum policy in the national interest based on what's good for Americans, as your question suggested, rather than based on 
what some U.N. bureaucrat 70 years ago decided our immigration policy should be. And then what would that take to exit the treaty? Nothing. The president just has to send a letter to the U.N. Uh, All treaties have escape hatches in them by definition. And so, you know, why didn't Trump do that? Good good question. Uh, I, I mentioned it. Yeah, I mentioned it behind the scenes. Uh, I didn't write anything at the time, but I did, you know, talk about people, you know, talk to talk about it to people with the president's ear. I mean, it wasn't like an intern at the White House. It was higher up. You would recognize who I talked to. Um, And I don't know. It never got to him or there were other things to deal with or, you know, Jared Kushner thought it was a bad idea and vetoed it. I have no idea. I mean, that's all. But the point is, it didn't happen. It needs to happen, though. And this is something, you know, I would hope would be a topic of, you know, the next Republican presidential campaign where we talk about, you know, what getting rid of these anachronistic Cold War era policies and, you know, move to adopt an asylum policy. And we'd still have asylum in some form or another, but we need to decide what shape it takes and how we run it, not handcuff ourselves to something from 70 years ago. So why does the Biden administration allow this to happen? I mean, we've seen polling over the years where Americans actually support enforcement at the border. Democrats used to be for enforcement at the border. It's not an unpopular issue. It's costing taxpayers. We're having people released in the country that we do not know who they are, potentially criminals, potentially all these other things. Why is he allowing this to happen? Um, The first explanation a lot of people give, and Tucker Carlson talks about this at some length, is importing voters, you know, their future voters. And there's something to that, frankly. I mean, uh, immigration does, in fact, move the political center of gravity to the left. That's true here. That's true in Europe. Um, But that's a longer range issue. Uh, And even the issue of, you know, money whether is it though is it though because i i've seen the argument from i think it's i can't remember the publication because i'm thinking off the top it might have been the atlantic or something there was an article recently about how illegal immigrants should be able to vote i mean why would that be a long-range thing versus near term you know because i mean they they could make those changes and i mean i think even the hr1 or whatever i think didn't really uh didn't really vet for illegal immigrants voting yeah i mean look it could happen i'm not saying it's it's not but In fact, I'm saying, I mean, there's no question that there's a political payoff to immigration. My point is that I don't think that's the first thing that motivates the folks in the Biden administration who are, you know, running immigration policy. And what I mean by that is actually it's worse than just pure political calculation or even money. The left increasingly, and this is also true of the libertarians and the corporate people on the right, do not accept the legitimacy of America's borders. They reject the idea that we are allowed to keep people out. And so any immigration enforcement is like a concession to a grudging concession to political reality. They can't just open the borders to anybody because they'll be wiped out at the polls. So they do everything they can to have open-ish borders where they kind of go through some of the motions of enforcing the border. 
And, you know, in some place they do it better than others, but it's all grudging and sort of a um, uh, uh, an unpleasant political necessity, not something they actually believe in. And obviously Border Patrol guys, that does not, that's not, I mean, it's not those people, they're doing their jobs. I'm talking about policymakers at the top, you know, folks in the squad, the leftist squad in, in Congress, and even people like Nancy Pelosi and others. In other words, even the more establishment Democrats have moved to that position of rejecting America's borders as meaning anything other than just a kind of jurisdictional line. In other words, it's like a county line is the way these people see the border, where, you know, one side is responsible for fixing the potholes over there, and you're responsible for fixing the potholes on your side of the border. But that's all it means. Instead of actually delineating, you know, one nation from another, and, uh, you know, the citizens of one nation and the responsibilities and rights you have, they don't believe that. They just don't believe it. And that's actually a much more dangerous thing than a cynical use of immigration for political purposes. I'd almost welcome the, you know, cynical folks because, you know, there's a way you can reason with that. Um, It's almost my analogy is kind of like to, um, uh, what's his name? Who's the artist with the soup cans? Andy Warhol. You know, people, Andy Warhol, you know, he, I kind of respect the guy because it was, he knew, he knew it was all BS. In other words, it was just a scam for him. It's like, well, I'll paint soup cans and maybe they'll pay for that. That I kind of respect as opposed to some artist who actually believes his own press releases high on his own supply. The people running the left and increasingly the mainstream of the Democratic Party has become so radicalized that they actually believe that the American people are morally barred from keeping anyone out of the United States who wants to move here. That's a serious problem going forward. Well, because, you know, obviously, if you don't if you don't have borders, if you don't enforce your borders, you don't have a country. I mean, what like you don't have borderless countries. Like That means you're not a country. Right. Like you're not a sovereign nation. And I know it's it's insane, though. But but why? Why do you think Look what happened over the past year with the statues and all that kind of stuff all being burned down? They're OK with not having a nation. No, I mean, it seems like they're doing everything they can to burn it to the ground. And they're doing a very good job of it, unfortunately, which is terrifying. Uh, you know, I, I feel like we're sort of one election a cycle away from a country that never resembles what we once knew America to be. But wh- I, but what's so interesting to me is I'm trying to get to the bottom of why this sentiment changed, because even going back to 2006, you had the Secure Fence Act. You had oh, then Senator Obama voting for it. You had Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein, Harry Reid, you know, a whole bunch of Democrats. Then you go back to, you know, Obama wrote in his Audacity of Hope book talking about how uh, low skill workers depress the wages of blue collar Americans uh, and then also put strains on an, an already overburdened safety net. So it's like, why did that like how did that sentiment change from just 2006 when Democrats wanted a border, when they saw that it depresses wages for blue collar workers? Like, why did that change? good question. I mean, the, you know, the radicalization of the Democratic Party on immigration is one of the major political developments. Uh, And, you know, it was even, uh, you know, I mean, in the mid 90s, it was even more 
I mean, in other words, the contrast between now and the mid-90s is even greater. I mean, Bill Clinton gave a whole State of the Union speech or a whole part of a State of the Union speech that Trump could have delivered on a you know, need to control illegal immigration, all the rest of it. Um, and borders and, and borders all of that. And yeah. Absolutely. And it's not just Trump, but because this was this was happening before Trump. But I think Trump supercharged it or the reaction to Trump. In other words, Trump himself was a reaction to this disconnect between our political elites and the public. And his election, you know, supercharged that disconnect. So, um, you know, what's immigration? I think it's not a proxy, but it's like one of the important parts of 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 patriotism, nationalism, of believing that you have to control who comes into your country. You may want a lot of immigrants. You may want few immigrants. But but the the principle that the American people are the ones who get to decide whether there's high immigration or low immigration is one that is central to a kind of to a pro-patriotic view of the world whatever you think about immigration or taxes or abortion or anything else. Do you believe in America? Do you see yourselves as having a special obligation to your fellow citizens, solidarity with them or not? And as that sense of Americanness has attenuated among especially our elites who have become increasingly post-American, there's no reason to have tight immigration policy anymore, because if you're a post-American, if you're a citizen of the world, well, why would you, what, how could you justify immigration controls of any kind? And so I think that's what it is. It's this, and, and why that's happened, I don't know why. I mean, that's a bigger question. Why has so much of the elites, both in this country and in Europe, become post-patriotic? I don't know. Uh, I think it's decline of religion is part of it. There's a whole bunch of reasons for it but decline of community probably exactly. too Bowling you know we're more inward yeah. yeah and immigration is one of the places where you see it bear policy fruit the quickest and the soonest no that's such an interesting and really smart and thoughtful point and and too i mean your point about president trump i mean democrat or president trump could have come out and be like i am anti lighting myself on fire and then democrats would be like you know what we're going out we're lighting ourselves on fire right now i mean that's how insane they are like anything president trump was for they had to be against yeah i'm, I'm anti-jumping off a cliff so you know uh <laughs> the kid i kind of no but uh <laughs> so how many illegal immigrants are living in the united states right now nobody really knows but there is a um temptation on the part of immigration skeptics, people who want the law enforced tight borders to make the number be as big as possible. Uh, and I just don't think that these estimates of 20 or 30 million illegal immigrants are correct. Um, the Center for Migration Studies, which is a uh, not, nothing to do with us, we're the Center for Immigration Studies. They're a Catholic church funded um, high immigration think tank. But Uh, A lot of their work, especially their statistical stuff, is honest. And their estimate, we know the guy who does the research over there. They just released an estimate, which was from before all of this uh, border disaster really got bad. 
of 10.3 million illegals. I mean, it's at least a million more now. Um, and it could be, they could be off. They could be us. It could be, maybe it's 12 million, maybe it's 13 even, but it can't be 20. And the reason for that is if it were dramatically bigger than the 10 to 12 million, we think it is, you would see the results in the death records, the birth records, the school enrollment records, the grocery store statistics. In other words, you can't misplace 10 million people and not see the effect in all kinds of other areas. You see what I mean? So that while the estimates may be lower than they really are, in other words, it could be 13 million. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. I don't think it's possible for it to be, you know, 22 million, which is one estimate or, you know, higher than that. It just doesn't, I mean, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but it just doesn't seem plausible. And really in a political sense, what difference does it make? Aren't, aren't 12 million, 11 million illegal aliens enough? I mean, how many more do we need to make it be a real problem? Um, So anyway, that's kind of my long way of answering that. What's the economic impact of all of that? Because you see, you know, Democrats try to make the case that it's a net financial benefit. But what's the reality? Immigration overall, not even just illegal immigration, but immigration makes the economy bigger overall. There's no question about that because more people you have a bigger economy. Uh, you know, Bangladesh has a bigger economy than Luxembourg. But nobody would say Bangladesh is better off than Luxembourg. The size of the economy is not really all that important unless you're just looking for more, you know, cannon fodder for some foreign war. The issue is, are individual Americans better off? And immigration both makes the economy bigger, but also harms especially the least well-off among, um, our, among Americans. The numbers from a few years ago this was uh, from a book. Actually, no, this was from the National Academies of Sciences did a report on this. And the numbers have changed some, but the basic idea is the same. And what they said was that immigration uh, creates efficiencies that result in $550 billion in extra wealth for people who own capital and own stock and who are employers. But it reduces the income of people who compete with immigrants by something like $500 billion. So that when you subtract 500 from 550, you get $50 billion net benefit to the United States economy overall. But there's several points to make about that. Three points. One, it's not very big. Uh, I mean, I I wish I had $50 billion, but our economy is, you know, hundreds of times bigger than that. It doesn't add, it doesn't amount to very much. That's number one. Number two, as I explained in that brief math, sorry, I didn't, you know, I didn't say, I didn't warn you that there would be math. Um, the, The benefit comes from, impoverishing from lowering the income of blue collar workers who are already here some of them even immigrants in other words it comes from lowering the wages of working people so that the people who own capital enjoy 
greater efficiencies. And so it's kind of a reverse Robin Hood phenomenon of impoverishing the poor in order to make everybody else a tiny bit better off. So that that's a moral question. Do you think it's right to impoverish the poor to create a small economic net economic benefit? And then the third reason that this is not, you know, what it's cracked up to be is that even that relatively modest net economic benefit, that 50 billion extra, the surplus that we get to keep, all of it is wiped out by extra social spending, extra welfare and similar costs. Because immigrants earn so little money, even though they work, they can't feed their own children. So taxpayers have to support them. So that's a long way of saying there's a small economic benefit. Uh, well, let me, let me step back. It, immigration makes the economy bigger overall. It does create a small benefit when you do the math for the whole country, but that benefit comes economically, but that benefit comes out of the hides of poor people and is totally wiped out by the extra taxes middle-class people have to pay to provide social services. Well, and the irony is Obama literally made this point in his book, The Audacity of Hope. I mean, it quite literally reads that if this huge influx of mostly low-skill workers provides some benefit to the economy as a whole, it also threatens to depress further the wages of blue-collar Americans, and it puts strains on an already overburdened safety net, which is quite literally the case that you just made as one that Democrats also used to believe, including our former president of the United States. But this is also why you see these big corporations that support, you know, immigration, illegal immigration, too, more or less, uh, because it provides them cheap labor. Yep, cheap labor. I mean, basically, the the old thing used to be immigration is provides cheap labor for the right and cheap votes for the left. And there's something to that. I mean, it's, you know, it's simplified, it's simplistic, but it's also true. Um, but like I said, I think there's an underlying ideological view that American borders and everybody's borders are passe. And that's something that you see both at the top levels of the left and the right you know, business lobbyists, corporate lobbyists. I mean, like, you know, Google and the rest of these guys, they don't see themselves as American companies anymore. Um, and uh, and then obviously you have the left that, frankly, was never all that wild about America to begin with, and now they're actively hostile to it. So immigration is, maybe another way to put it, is it's a way to make America less American. And if you don't like America particularly, you want to make it less American. Quick break, folks, back on the other side. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. 
Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. How big of a problem are visa overstays? Pretty big. Um, Immigration, illegal immigration can happen in two ways. One is the one we talk about all the time, if, and probably too much, is border jumpers, people who infiltrate across the border. And that's important, and that's, you know, something like half the illegal immigrants. Nobody really knows for sure 40, 50, 60 percent of illegal aliens are border infiltrators. But the other half, roughly, is what you talked about, visa overstayers, people we let in legally, usually on a tourist visa or maybe a student visa. There's a whole alphabet soup of visas they've almost run out of letters um but who just doesn't leave they don't leave when their time is up Uh, in other words if they're a tourist and they're given a six-month automatic stay because they're coming to stay you know visit relatives um and then they just stay they just get a job and they never leave those are called visa overstays and that's something like half you know nobody's sure it's probably maybe before all of this border surge happened, visa overstays may have accounted for something like 60% of new illegal aliens. It's probably down, you know, to 60% border jumpers, 40% visa overstays now uh, because of what's going on at the border. But it's a big part of the problem. And that's why you really can't talk about having fixed the border issue, the illegal immigration issue, even if we had a border wall the whole length of the Mexican border, and it had machine guns and barbed wires and moats with alligators. Half the new illegal immigrants each year are just coming in legally. We're giving them visas, and they're not leaving. And so that's why, for instance, one of the things we need to have in place up and running before we can even talk about having control over our borders is what they call, uh, well, I mean, to put it simply, a check-in, check-out system for foreign visitors, legal visitors. We check them in at the airport or wherever a lot better than we used to, or at the land border um, even. That's a harder problem. But we don't check people out very well so that if you don't know who has left, then you don't know who's still here. And until that's fixed, you know, we can't talk about, say, amnestying illegal immigrants who, you know, have been here for a long time and are established. I mean, I'm actually kind of a squish on at least talking about that, but you can't even talk about it until you fix the problem that's creating all of this illegal immigration to begin with. And part of that is an entry exit system so that we know who the visa overstays are 
so that, you know, if somebody was given six months, you know, when six months and two weeks happens, because, you know, people's flights get canceled or whatever, seven months even or whatever, that, you know, they pop up in the computer. These people haven't left yet. And then we do something about it. Until that kind of situation happens, you know, we can't even, we cannot claim to have controlled illegal immigration. Well, Ed, I think what's so frustrating is you just laid out a pretty easy solution. I mean, I am not in Congress. I can think of easy loopholes that we could close, like a 2008 anti-human trafficking law that treats unaccompanied Central American minors different than minors coming from Mexico, things like the Flores settlement, which was at the basis of President Trump's zero separation policy. I mean, there are some pretty easy fixes here that Congress theoretically could do, but seems to be too incompetent to handle. Yeah, I don't know if it's incompetence, though. I mean, I'm no I mean, I I, look, I mean, I yield to no one in my contempt for the way Congress is run. But I don't know that that's incompetence. I think that's a fundamental difference of opinion. The Democratic leadership and most of the members in Congress do not want to do what's necessary to control illegal immigration. They refuse. They don't believe that we should do that. And so this is why this needs to be a a broader part of political and electoral debate because people in need, the Republicans need to make clear what the issue is. The Democrats succeed in, you know, in muddying the issue and Republicans, some of them are in league with the Democrats and others are just, and look, I'm personally, I mean, the center is, we have Democrats and Republicans working here. Personally, I'm a Republican, but I acknowledge that the Republican party is the stupid party. Um, And so we have not done a good job of clarifying what the issue is and identifying what the other guys actually believe in. Because if you say, well, you're for open borders. Oh, no, we're not for open borders. We want to have a border patrol. It's like, okay, what limit do you want on immigration? And what are you willing to do to enforce that limit? Let's say you want 5 million immigrants a year, which frankly, some of these people do, instead of 1 million, which is already too many, which is what we take now. Let's say you want to take 5 million immigrants a year. Okay, what are you willing to do about number 5 million and one? Let's say he's not a criminal. He's a great guy. He you know, goes to church every Sunday and he calls his mother on the phone all the time. But if he's number 5 million and one, Are you willing to track him down, arrest him, and throw him out of the country? Yes or no? If the answer is no, and the answer is no on the part of all elected Democratic officials with only a handful of exceptions, then you are for open borders. That's the kind of clarification that we need if we're going to move forward and get the ability to have a Congress that would pass the kinds of, you know, really very common sense, basic changes that you're talking about. Well, I think President Trump sort of demonstrated that you can be tough on the border and it's not going to cost you Hispanic votes. He actually improved his margins in the 2020 election with Hispanic voters and improved his margins in the majority uh, Hispanic counties across the country. I mean, most Americans want borders. They want some level of enforcement. I mean, this is not a... uh, 
you know, this is not an insane concept, right? So I, I think President Trump sort of paved the way that, because I think Republicans used to think that the only way you could win Hispanic voters is if you're like, oh, we need amnesty, just open the borders, et cetera, et cetera, which some Republicans do believe. And then President Trump showed that you can actually be tough on the border, uh, but while making America great for everyone, every race, right? Like it doesn't have to, it's not just, it's it's Hispanics, it's black, it's everyone. It's about making the country better, better as a whole and taking care of your own citizens of all races, Absolutely. And, you know, and and President Trump did demonstrate that. The reason he was able to do that is because he couldn't care less what the New York Times said about him. Um, And in fact, if anything, he wanted the New York Times to say bad things about him. That the problem is that there's too many. There are still too many Republican politicians who are, you know, kind of hoping that the media will be nice to them. And this is one of the ways they think that they think that if they're not too strict on immigration, or if they just talk about border things and just leave everything else out, maybe that, you know, the uh, the media won't go for them. And this is why I'm so encouraged by, for instance, Governor DeSantis in Florida, because he couldn't care less what the media say. He does what he's going to do. He's actually pretty good on immigration. And to add to that, he doesn't have president, former President Trump's, you know, baggage and downsides because you know, if you're going to be the kind of guy who's going to break through and attack the media, that also comes with various other sharp edges and stuff. And, um, you know, not going through all of what President Trump's downsides were. Uh, there were a lot of downsides. It, they were, in a sense, almost part of they were kind of necessary to um, his contempt for the elite views that he was rejecting on immigration as well as other things. What I hope for is that President Trump, having kicked the door open on that issue, will encourage other politicians, like you said, to understand that this isn't some kind of um, poison pill in reaching out to Democrats. If anything, it's, you know, it can help uh, reaching out to other voters, to, to much of the electorate that is skeptical of Republicans, but will will resonate, will, uh, you know, appeal to a pro-American immigration policy that is, you know, different from what we have now. So we'll see, you know, knock on wood, um, you know, uh, uh, Governor DeSantis seems to be the one who's taking up this standard now. There's others who can and should as well in Congress as well. And so, you know, I'm hopeful in the medium term that, you know, in 2025, we may see some good things happen on immigration, but I'm actually kind of pessimistic between now and then that the current crop of people in the White House and Congress are going to do anything uh, on immigration or at least anything that's going to help. If anything, they're going to make it worse, probably. Yeah, I mean, I look at it basically if hopefully hopefully Republicans can at least win the House in the midterms. And even if they're somewhat weak, just at least bring it to a sort of a, a lock, a, a standstill until we hopefully get a yeah, stalemate. There you go. So we get a, you know, a DeSantis type president to just mitigate the amount of harm to sort of neuter the Biden administration to a certain degree for the last uh, two years until we hopefully get like a DeSantis or something, depending on what, you know, Trump ends up doing. But I also felt like uh, what really frustrated me during a lot of the conversations with the previous administration is just how dishonest some of the coverage was. Like, for instance, the zero 
uh, tolerance policy. I mean, the entire premise of that and the entire reason was because of the Flora settlement. I mean, you literally have options, not many options when you're dealing with parents who are with their children that come over here. I mean, you either could put the children in a or after you detaining the parents, the government could either put the children in a shelter uh, or release the entire family into the interior. And you can only you can only contain the family for 20 detain the family for 20 days because of the floor settlement so i mean there's not a lot of options you either uh you know basically catch and release or you separate the the children from the parents that's the only way you can do it because of the floor settlement yep yeah no absolutely and that's i mean and you know i mean to the extent if there's fault for the trump administration is that they didn't do a good enough job of even of really attempting to make that case before they did before they ended up with the uh family separation policy but no you're right i mean there's no really the alternatives are either family separation you you keep the parents but uh in custody but release the kids to you know presumably the relatives in the u.s or you let everybody go and let everybody go is what we're doing now uh and that's not sustainable i feel like if they did a better job of sort of more, which I don't know if I did the most articulate job explaining that, but uh, simply just because I'm tired today. But, you know, I, it, as you just laid out much more articulately than I did, it's a pretty easy way to explain it. And I think most Americans would understand that. So they might have been able to do a little better job on the messaging there. Uh, you know, so I want to talk about this before uh, I want to be conscientious of the time with you. But so Democrats right now are potentially trying to get amnesty done through the reconciliation bill what do you think is going to be in there uh and you know what are your expectations for that yeah i mean it would be unprecedented because what they're talking about is unquestionably the largest amnesty in american history we don't know all of the scope of it but it would it would definitely include not just the people with daca because there's only about seven hundred thousand people not quite that with daca but it would include all the people who could get DACA in the future or didn't apply for DACA before. So, I mean, it's more like 2 million people that the DACA slash dream amnesty would cover. And they want to amnesty something like three quarters of a million people with what is called hilariously temporary protected status. Um, Some of whom have been here for 20 years. And they want to amnesty what they call essential workers, which is, frankly, means whatever they can get away with. So, you know, we're talking maybe five million on the conservative side of how big this could be and potentially, you know, almost all illegal aliens, 10 million or something, um, if they defined that more broadly. So, you know, what they're talking about is passing the biggest amnesty in American history with 51 votes with no buy-in from Republicans. Um, and the, the only the plus side, though, or not the plus side, but the sort of the glass half full side is this reconciliation, budget reconciliation process, which is, you know, inside baseball for Senate rules, has to, um, has to get the okay from the person called the Senate parliamentarian, the person who's sort of the judge about what Senate rules mean, how they're applied. And the Senate parliamentarian would have to okay adding or including immigration into this budget reconciliation bill. There's no good case to make for that. 
based on the rules. It's it's obviously pretextual to say that, well, you know, this is, has an effect on the budget, so we should include it. I, I don't think I don't think she's going to include that. Well, it'd be hard to see how it would survive the bird rule and survive the Senate parliamentarian. But I feel like we're in such a crazy place as a society that like anything is possible these days. But like, what would the justification be that it, it that it that it deserves or warrants being at a reconciliation bill? I have no idea. I mean, it's you know that it uh, has an effect on the budget. Uh, it will you know improve. Uh uh, supposedly it will you know, have a positive effect on the budget or something. And the thing is, the whole point to this as the bird rule, as you suggested, I don't want to bore people with, uh, you know, procedural details, but anything you add to this budget reconciliation process. And the, the reason just to make sure everything we forgot to mention this is that you don't need, you can avoid the filibuster. You can pass it with 51 votes instead of 60 votes, but it's supposed to have something, you know, directly related to the budget and the budgetary impacts of an immigration amnesty are incidental to the amnesty. It's not the point of it. The point of passing the amnesty is not to affect the budget, even if it had a positive effect, which it will not. But even if it were, that's not the point of it. The point of it is to give green cards to millions of people who don't have them. So there's no good case to make. The one thing I do, so, so my, to finish that thought, I, I think it's unlikely the Senate parliamentarian will okay adding immigration to the reconciliation measure. Democrats are going to try. I think she'll say no, sorry. But the only concern I have is that as that decision gets closer, I'm afraid the Democrats are going to appeal to their anti-Fa style strategy, and they're going to literally go after the parliamentarian's home and family. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm appalled that I'm even saying that, but after what we saw over the past year, and even before that with Kavanaugh, does anybody think that's unlikely? That they'll, she lives somewhere in Northern Virginia, that they'll they'll find out where she lives? You know they say you can. Um, She works for Congress. Uh, and then go send people to her house. I mean, it's that that's the kind of mob rule that the Democrats seem to think is justified. And that's the only thing that I fear is that she will be literally physically intimidated into okaying the inclusion of the amnesty into the reconciliation. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm too paranoid. But Nothing that happened over the past year suggests uh, that's too paranoid. Well, and it's not out of the realm of possibility in the sense. I mean, we saw Democrats literally support riots over the summer. We've seen Kamala Harris said that Jacob Blake, she was proud of him. This is a guy who sexually assaulted a woman and then showed up at her house and pulled you know, a knife on cops. She also supported bail fund for rioters who try to kill cops and, you know, lit cities on fire, et cetera, et cetera. You had Maxine Waters, the Derek Chauvin trial go out in the streets and basically told people to get activated and get out there uh, and, you know, more or less riot. So, I mean, it's these people are not above anything when it comes to obtaining more power. And that's why it's so troubling for Democrats, for the folks at home. What's so troubling about this is you literally have a party by one party rule trying to pass what Mark just said would be the largest amnesty we've ever seen on a party line basis in a reconciliation process, which it which it should have no place 
and Bing. They're completely abusing the rules, which is also not surprising when they want to pack the courts, when they want to federalize our elections, when the list goes on. It's all about power at the end of the day. That's the they're, the only motivating factor they have is obtaining more and more power. It's disgusting. That's what I'm afraid of. That's why, uh, like I said, there's no case you can make that amnesty should be included in reconciliation. But, you know, if people are threatening to burn your house down, you know, uh, she may cave. I don't know enough about her. A lot of people, both Republicans and Democrats, have a lot of respect for her. Uh, So, you know, um, more power to her. But and again, I, I hate to even have this thought. But I would not be selling her life insurance. What uh, what else do you think we'll see from the Biden administration on immigration? Um, they're going to be coming up with uh, new asylum regulations. Uh, the point of which is to try to expand the ability to get asylum dramatically so that the people coming at the border, instead of, you know, 15 percent of them, of people applying for asylum get asylum, uh, you know, 85% will be approved. And the point is, approve them quick, rubber stamp them right there at the border, and then the administration will say, see, it's all legal. Nothing illegal happening here. What are you complaining about? Um, that's, the, that's a big thing that we're going to be seeing there. And the rest of it is just a continuation of, uh, you know, the same thing where ICE is not allowed to, literally not allowed to do its job. Uh, in fact, the administration is sort of abolishing ICE without using that particular verb by starving it of funding, um, you know, reassigning people to the other things that ICE does. Because remember, the C in ICE is customs, so that they are focusing on just the customs stuff, you know, people importing endangered animals or whatever that kind of stuff instead of the immigration stuff and the other thing is the head of an agency within homeland security called u.s citizenship and immigration services which does the green cards citizenship part of immigration the services part the head of it was confirmed a couple weeks ago and she had some kind of statement on that when you compare that statement about making it easier for people to immigrate with the statement of Trump's USCIS director, original one, um, Francis Cisna. His emphasis was on, you know, fair and proper adjudication of the rules in the interest of the American people, which is what immigration is supposed to serve. Biden's USCIS director uh, was focusing on what's what the immigrants want not what the american people want and that really does tell you the way this issue the way this administration approaches immigration they see immigrants as the customers to be served not the american people which is really sad because so many americans are suffering as a result of the government and uh city and state governments shutting down their businesses and forcing them to suffer and now we're suffering inflation uh, by trying to inject so much taxpayer money to resuscitate the damage that they did, not coronavirus, but their actions and their decisions to go into lockdowns. So basically, a lot of this is a mess. <laughs> uh, you know, w- are Republicans speaking up enough about some of these immigration issues we're facing, do you think? No, not at all. I mean, it, there are too many Republicans take the easy way out. They go to the border, 
and they say, this is outrageous and I'm appalled and here's the email address to mail us money. You know what I mean? It's uh, And so, and that's fine. I mean, obviously what's going on the border is terrible, but you know, it's part of a broader problem and too many Republicans kind of take the easy way out. Well, we need the wall. You know, it's, it's President Trump's wall because Biden stopped construction. That's why all this is happening. Well, not really. I mean, you know, even if we had a wall, some of this would be happening anyway, because if the wall is on the Rio Grande, for instance, it's not in the middle of the Rio Grande, which is the border. It's, you know, it's 100 feet, 200 feet back. Uh, and once illegal immigrants get on dry land on our side of the river, they're in the U.S., and the Border Patrol literally has to go and take them through the fence and bring them here to process them. So my only point here is that there's a lot to this issue. And Demo- Republicans too often just sort of repeat the two or three applause lines without really addressing the rest of the issue. And that's uh, so, so the answer is no, I don't think Republicans have done a good enough job in laying out a positive agenda about what you you give us power here are the 10 things on immigration we are going to do nobody's really doing that not in any you know broad sense there are individual congressmen and others who have you know done something like that. i mean chip roy has some really specific ideas on what he wants to do the republican study committee has concrete ideas but there is no immigration republican immigration agenda it seems that the republicans are basically decided that they want to do as say and do as little as possible on immigration that will you know be enough to satisfy voters without doing too much to tick off donors and that's not the route to success no i mean i think we need more leadership, which is why someone like Ron DeSantis has stood out so much in the Republican Party is because he's one of the few actually leading on any issue, uh, let, a go- let alone immigration, but pretty much anything. And that's why you think it'd be a lesson for the rest of Republicans. This is why Republicans are so drawn to Ron DeSantis right now is because he's being a leader, which is what you're supposed to do if you're an elected uh, position, theoretically. Right. So like that's that's kind of the point. Yeah. You would think I mean, you'd think after Trump's <laughs> Trump beat 16 experienced long-term Republican office holders. And, you know, the guy was a reality show star. I mean, that itself should have been a wake-up call. And for some people it was, but not enough, and certainly not enough of the leadership. Anything else you want to say before we, we let you? have been very generous with your time. Anything else I didn't get in that you wish I had or that you really want uh, the audience to know? If you want more information on this, uh, my organization, Center for Immigration Studies, is online at cis.org. We have a blog with posts almost every day and other research there. We have a weekly podcast you can subscribe to in all the usual podcast places. It's called Parsing Immigration Policy. Uh, and um, I'm on Twitter if people have a taste for snark and sarcasm. Um, it's uh, Mark S. as in Stephen, Mark S. Krikorian. Uh, and, um, you know, you're, I encourage you to follow me. And I follow you because you're a wealth of information, and so is the Center for Immigration Study. So I highly recommend folks to go out and seek information from you guys. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This was incredibly interesting, and I learned a lot from you. So thank you.
Thank you. Thank you for having me. Happy to come back anytime. I want to thank Mark Krikarian again for such an interesting conversation. I don't know about you guys at home, but I learned so much from him. He knows so much about this issue, which is why I wanted him on the podcast. He also gave us a lot of time, so very appreciative of that. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. I love seeing your reviews. It makes me so happy. And I also try to tailor some things when you leave reviews. If you don't like something, if you like something... Let me know I'm listening to you in the comments that you leave. And to hear more of my episodes and to get my weekly newsletter, go to Gingrich360.com slash Lisa. And you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at, at Lisa Marie Booth. And a special thanks to our team producer, John Cassio, who's amazing, who works so hard on this podcast, turning it around and making it happen. Writer Aaron Kliegman, who helps so much as well. Researcher Isabel McMahon and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 network and team. Imagine getting in a hot, stuffy car in the summer. You know how it cools off much faster when you roll down the windows first to get the hot air out? Well, that's exactly how an Easy Breathe basement ventilation system works. Removing all the musty, damp, stagnant air and replacing it with fresher, cleaner, drier air. Take charge of your air with Easy Breathe ventilation and get $250 off today. Ask about DIY kits. Visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com or call 866-822-7328. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes, Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.